Good morning, everyone. We'd like to welcome you here as we gather as God's people in our church service this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to the one who created us and loves us.
Father, we are amazed at your love for us. We come together today to give you thanks and to worship you for your great love. We pray that you will stir our hearts to love you more and that our love for you would be expressed in our love for each other and for this world. Thank you for being present with us in worship today. We pray that you will be glorified And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. Morning, how are you?
Just a couple of things that I want to uh, highlight in the bulletin. Uh, you'll notice that uh, we are just a few weeks away from Easter, and uh, during that, uh, during Holy Week, we'll have uh, some special activities of the Monday Thursday service, Thursday evening. We also have the uh, a Good Friday uh, Journey to the Cross, something we've done the last couple of years, and you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. And also, our Easter uh, more in Easter morning, we uh, have baptism. On, at their, our early service, and if you would like to be baptized, just let me know in the next uh, week or so. We'll have a class to prepare everyone for that uh, monumental event in, uh, in our life of our church, as well as in the lives of those who are being baptized. Good morning. My name is Doug Maley. I'm a member of the Board of Elders of the Church. You'll notice in your bulletin this morning that there's an announcement regarding the pastoral call vote that will take place in two weeks on April 6th. Uh, Every four years, we're asked as a congregation to vote to extend the call of our senior pastor, Wes Oden, and that time has come again. Uh, This is our opportunity to reaffirm Pastor Wes and his ministry here, and in a very real sense, to commit ourselves to being an integral part of that ministry. And so we encourage you to vote. Uh, The elders, as you read, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly uh, recommend that Pastor West be extended a a call for another four years. The vote will take place in two weeks on April 6th. It's open to community and covenant members of the church. It will occur around the morning services. There is an opportunity for you to cast an absentee ballot if you know that you will not be here on April 6th, and the instructions are in that announcement. So again, we ask you to be in prayer and to participate in that vote in two weeks. Thanks. In worship, we have an opportunity now to give back about a portion of all that God has blessed us with. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed we are healed by your sacrifice and the life that you transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds 
Christ has done for us on the cross, we'll offer our prayers. If you'd like to come to the altar rail and offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, it is amazing to think of what you've done for us in Christ. We were the ones who sinned and you were the one who died. By the wounds of Christ, we are healed. By sacrifice, we have life. Father, we come today to give you thanks. To seek your grace and mercy, your forgiveness. And to lay ourselves before you. And surrender and trust once again. Father, in the power of Christ, we pray that you will heal our diseases. Be present in our grief. We pray for those who are feeling at this time a real sense of loss. Those who live with maybe a daily sense of dread, feel overwhelmed by life and maybe see no way out of it. We pray, Father, that you will fill each one with the awareness of your spirit, your presence. You're with them every moment. We pray for people who are dealing with injury, disease, surgery, treatments, all the other kinds of difficulties that come, these frail bodies. 
We ask that you would pour out your healing grace upon Bruce and Jeannie and upon Donna and Bev and Edna and Linda and Micah, Bob and Bill and Crystal and Emily and others who are on our hearts and minds today. Father, sometimes we are overwhelmed by worry, fear, doubt. We pray that you would reveal your goodness when we find it hard to see. And in our struggles with each other, fill us with the grace of forgiveness, patience, of mercy, truth, hope. Lord, we continue to pray for the burdens of the world. People who live, who live with no idea of where their next meal may come from, where they're going to find clean drinking water, who are displaced from their homes and live in grave danger. Those who live in fear and uncertainty because of violence and war, persecution and opposition. Father, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your spirit to bear upon each situation. That through your spirit, through your people, there would be hope and love, resolution and life. Father, we pray that you will continue to keep working on our hearts. Turn us from self-centered living to Christ-centered living. Give us eyes to see what you are doing in this world and to be your servants in the midst of your work. Use us to touch others' lives. Let the Spirit of Christ be upon us that we would be messengers to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of your favor through Jesus Christ our Lord, who teaches us to pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Remain standing for the song that follows, and following this scripture reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Reading starting with Luke chapter 20, verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. 
They devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Savior, I come, quiet my soul. Remember, redemption's here, for your blood was spilled for my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your
Father, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We don't talk a lot about money. Partly it's because the church has this reputation of talking a lot about money. And, you know, the 60-minute shows where, you know, there are these televangelists who, uh, you know, tell people to send in money and they'll pray for them and they open up the envelopes, take out the money and throw everything away and don't do anything about it. And, you know, and there are people who complain that that's all the church talks about, that's all the church really wants is they just want money. And, and you know, there are times where, through history, where that may have been the case. But So we've gotten to the point now where we've reacted against that. We don't talk a lot about money at all. But what's fascinating to me is that Scripture says a lot about money, an awful lot about money. Just doing a quick survey of, of Scripture between the words rich, poor, Money, gifts, offerings, you have over 700 times that the combination of those words are mentioned in the scriptures. While we are hesitant sometimes to, in the church to talk about money, God is not. Because there is something so important about money and our lives and understanding the economics of the kingdom. And one of the places where we see Scripture talking about money, Jesus specifically, is this passage we read just a few minutes ago. In the first century Palestine, the temple, as I understand it, there were in the court of the women, there were set up 13 containers. They called them trumpets because they kind of looked like trumpets. And people would come and they would put their offerings in those. And they were made out of metal. And so the they made a noise when you put your offering in. And the, the more weight of your money, the, the, in other words, more money you gave, it was weighed heavier and it made more noise when you put it in. So people would make a big show of clanking those trumpets as loudly as they could to let everybody know, I just gave a really big gift. And Jesus, Luke tells us about Jesus being there and a woman coming and putting in two little copper coins. They, the word that's used to, to describe those coins means thin ones. It would probably take, you know, two of them together might equal, um, you know, they're, they're less than half a penny of value. And I can almost see her trying to sort of sneak them in behind her back without anyone knowing. Because, you know, they, they make a little noise, but nothing much. A little bit of embarrassment because she can't put in the kind of money that other people put in. And yet, Jesus, as we might expect, he turns things on its head. He, has a, he, has a, he seems to be doing that all the time when we read the Gospels. Unexpected. And he says, she's put in more than all the other people with, their, with all their great gifts. 
It really shouldn't surprise us that Jesus makes that kind of a statement, that someone unexpected is what, who Jesus uses to, to teach us a lesson about the economics of his kingdom. Because he's been doing that about lots of things throughout all of his ministry, a tax collector, children, a woman caught in adultery, and now a, a poor widow coming to the temple to give. And Jesus says, this is really her spirit, her, her attitude is what the kingdom is about. This is what the economics of, of the kingdom are supposed to be. And he turns the whole thing on its head from what we're used to. Because in our culture, and actually in the culture of the world, throughout history, the, the economics of the world is, is based on the view of the rich, not the poor. No one goes to a poor person and says, so tell me, how do you think we ought to, how we, how we ought to construct our, the economics of our country? What do you, how, how do we think, let's, let's create an economic system where the, the primary people who gain from it are the poor. We set up an economic system by the rich set up that system so that they are the ones who gain the most from it. I mean, we see it all the time. Even in the best of circumstances, we see it all the time. The economics of the culture of the world are always based on the rich. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not like that. My kingdom is something completely different. Now, it's not as though Jesus is, is applauding her poverty, per se. He's applauding her generosity. Alexander McLaren has a very interesting take on this. He, in his mind, Jesus is sitting in the temple a bit down about what has happened and what's about to happen. This is Holy Week. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He's a few days from the cross. He's had these encounters with the religious leaders and they, they're coming to an end and he knows they're plotting against him and he knows that, that death is only a few days away and all of that is weighing upon him and he sits in the temple and he looks up and he watches people putting in their money and he comes and he, and he sits there, he sees this, this widow come and put in her coins and it's as though all of a sudden... His countenance brightens and, he, and he's just so encouraged because here is someone who gets it. When all the other people miss it, she gets it. And it's, in his opinion, it's as though all of a sudden, Jesus is reminded of the hope of the kingdom. And, and I, who knows whether that's true or not, but there's something about that that you sort of sense in Jesus' words. And he's not saying that to be poor is to be spiritual. This doesn't mean that. But he's saying that to be generous is an indication of our spirituality. I mean, there are people who are rich and are deeply spiritual. And there are people who are poor and who are not deeply spiritual. But the scripture also tells us that the more we have, the harder the struggle. 
Because materialism is a struggle for us. And the more we have, the more we want to, to spend on ourselves instead of thinking of how we can be more generous. And we're continually fighting this battle. I read a story, I don't know if it's true or not, about a guy came to his pastor and he said, I'm having trouble with tithing these days. And the pastor said, well, why? What's the problem? He said, well, when I was making $250 a week, $25 tithe, no problem. So when I started making $500 a week, a $50 tithe was okay. But now that I'm making $5,000 a week, man, $500 tithe is, is tough and it's hard. And, and I don't know if I can do it. Would you pray for me? And the pastor said, sure, I'll pray for you. He said, Lord, please reduce Joe's income back to $500 a week so he can give his tithe a lot more easily. I don't know, something to that, right? The more we have, the more just naturally our human nature is we want to hang on to it. Which is what makes this story of this woman so amazing is because she gives out of her poverty. And yes, there are other people who bring much larger gifts. But what she gives in comparison to what she has is what impresses Jesus. I mean, her gifts are not going to maintain the temple. Those two little coins that basically have almost no value are not going to pay for anything of upkeep in the, in the temple. They, they, the temple needs the gifts of people who have more income. But Jesus is saying, it's that spirit that I'm looking for. It's that attitude It's that mindset that I'm willing to be extravagantly generous with God. This is what God is looking for. That's the the economics of his kingdom. That's what people who are part of his kingdom are continually striving for. Trying to think of ways that we can give. And give more. One of the things that happens when we think about money is that how we handle money, it it says a lot about how we view other people. You know, it, it intrigues me that when you think about some of the most heinous financial crimes of the centuries, rarely, if ever, are they committed by people who have virtually nothing. They're committed by people who already have more than they know what to do with. Bernie Madoff was not, you know, in poverty. He had tons of money. He just wanted more of it. And he was willing to to steal from other people in order to get more of it. And Ken Lay and the people at Enron, these were not people of poverty. These were people of great wealth who decided they wanted more. The same people that Jesus talks about right at the end of chapter 20 who wear these flowing robes, they have lots of money. And what do they do? They steal the homes of widows. Do they need those homes to survive? No. But they want them. Because it represents their power and their ability to take what they want. 
And this sense of greed has enveloped them and that they will do whatever they have to do to get whatever it is that they want because they're controlled by it. And we know that money is controlling us, materialism is controlling us when we are willing to to use people to get it. Instead of using what we have to help people. It's, it, you know, it's it, it hard because we all wish we had more. I mean, it's human nature to want more. But it's a sign of, of what's going on in our hearts and, and what's first place in our hearts and our attitude if we are willing to use people to get what we want. Instead of taking what we've been given and thinking of how we can use it to help people in need. Ultimately, it's a hard issue. It, it always comes back to that. And so it's not only is it a sign of how we treat other people, but it's a sign of how we feel about God. How we, how we handle money, what we do with material possessions, is, is one of the most accurate thermometers of our spiritual condition. It's not the only one, but it is one of the most accurate thermometers. If we are in tune with God, if our hearts are open to God, then we will lean far more toward being generous than being stingy. We will live with an open hand instead of a closed fist. We will be thinking, how can I give instead of how can I get? It, it's, it's all about our heart condition. And that's really what God wants from us. God wants our hearts and, and what we do with our possessions, what we do with money, how we, how we get it and, and how we handle it keeps coming back to what is, who's most important in our hearts. What's the attitude of our hearts? If God is first place, then his spirit will come out in every element of our lives, including what we do with what we have. And we'll be asking God, what should I do with what I have? How should I handle this? What, should, what, what do you want me to, to do with this? And keep coming back to this heart attitude, this heart spirit. Because ultimately, what we do with what we have is rooted in our gratitude for God and our willingness to trust God. People who, who are thankful to God, who have a spirit of gratitude about what God has given them, tend to be generous people. Because we know what we have isn't from us anyway. God has given it to us. God's blessed us with it. And people who realize that God has, has blessed us and has given to us are generous because we know that we can trust God. That when we give it away, somehow, some way or another, he will supply our needs. It's always impressed me about John Wesley, 
who uh, he he had such a, a, a an amazing handle on money. You know, he he lived his life with such clear guidelines about money. And one of the things that he said was that he talked about how when he first started out in in teaching, he made 28 pounds a year and he, he felt he could, he made 30 pounds a year. He determined he could live on 28 and he gave two away. And the next year, his salary doubled to 60 pounds a year. And he said, I can still live on 28. And so he gave 32 pounds away. And the next year, he, his salary increased to 90 pounds. And he said, I can still live on 28. And he gave 62 pounds away. And his salary kept doing that. And his standard of living remained the same. And throughout his life, he was making tremendous amounts of money. People giving him money all the time. And his standard of living raised just a tad as the years went along. But basically, he gave it away. And his motto, his philosophy was... Give it away as fast as you can. Because, and wait to spend it. You know, when you're thinking about spending it, delay spending it. But never delay giving it. And he said, you know, the longer I hold on to it, the more I think it's mine. And the more it gets into my heart. And I just realized that I, I am much, I'm much more apt to be sensitive to the Spirit about what to do with it if I'm always thinking about how can I give it away. And I read that and I think, wow, I, I, I'm not at that place yet. Long ways to go. But that Spirit, that attitude of generosity... It's interesting to me that this woman comes to the temple and she gives her, seems like, some of her last coins. And I, I get the feeling as you read the New Testament that, that most people understand that the temple structure is corrupt. You know, they, they understand that, that the religious leaders are, are really not looking out for their best interests. They're, they see what they're doing. They watch them take advantage of widows. They watch them hurt people. They, they watch what they do. And you get a sense that the people have some inkling, some understanding that what's going on in the temple is, is not holy. And certainly Jesus knows that. And you would think he would say to her, you know what? Don't waste your money on the temple. Don't give them their, your money. That place is corrupt. They don't, they, they, aren't gonna, they don't honor me. They rejected me. They turned from me. Don't give them their mon- your money, but he doesn't. He is pleased and he acknowledges her that she gives it anyway. And there is something in that about how we give and where we give our money. And I'm convinced that because the church is central to our faith in terms of how we live out our faith, how we grow in our faith, how we develop our faith. Christ has given us the church as the primary place and means of doing that, along with the Holy Spirit, that we ought to give significantly to the church. I think we ought to give a tithe to the church, a 10% that the Old Testament talks about. That we give, we give to God, uh, to the church. And then we give above and beyond that as well, but, but we give to the church. Because we, and, we, and giving to the church, and it may sound a little self-serving for me to say that, but really it's only because if we give to the church that we can have worship, 
That we can hire staff who help us in times of need and who nourish our faith and who are there for us. And, and it's only because we give to the church that we have, can run programs and ministries like children's church and Sunday school and nursery and Wednesday night children's ministries and Bible studies and, and youth group and all the things that we do, college ministries. Those things happen because we give to the church. Because we give to the church, we can send over $100,000 out to other people who are sharing the gospel, places right around us and places all over the world. Because we give to the church. And we connect with each other and we care for each other. It's one of the ways that we do that. And I know that not everyone sees it that way, and I understand that. But is it possible that God might be prompting us to say, prompting us to, to give our tithe to the church and to give offerings to others. To push us to that point of uh, generosity where we do both. And we watch God work in the church and in other ministries as well. Robert Morris has written a book called The Blessed Life and it's really a fascinating book. And I read it and and I'm very intrigued at some of the stories he tells. I mean, this guy has just got the, he has the gift of giving. And I, you know, I wasn't sure if all these things you know, could really be true because it's so amazing. And then I discovered that we, we had a mutual friend, someone I knew who worked with him. And the guy said to me, he's real. This is exactly who he is. And he tells in this, story, in this book, he talks about how the, we are to be, uh, a reservoir. We're to be a river instead of a reservoir. And so often what we do with money is that we, we get it, we don't give it. And he says the whole point of this is that we want to get a vision of giving instead of a vision of getting. One of the ways he has done that is he and his family have given away probably more than a dozen cars in their lives. And sometimes they're cars that people have given to them Sometimes they're cars they've bought and God says, I want you to give it away. And so he said he was really surprised one time when God said to him, I want you to sell that, your van. He said, Lord, we don't sell them. We give them away. That's what we do. He said, no, I want you to sell. And I want you to sell it for $12,000. So my wife and I, we prayed about this and we both had a real peace that that's what we should do. So we said, okay. So the next, so the next day at church, a guy comes up to me and says, hey, Robert, you know that van? You ever think of selling your van? He said, I don't know. He said, well, if, you, if you'd like to sell it, he said, I'll give you $12,000 for it. He says, all right. So he sold him the van for $12,000. He put the money in the bank. He didn't know what to do with it. A few weeks later, they were down in Costa Rica, and they were with some missionaries, and the missionary was driving them around in this rattle-trap van. I mean, the, if it wasn't for the rust holding hands, they wouldn't, you know, they would just fall apart. And, and he's they're riding around, and he says to the guy, Really, why are we riding in this van? Why is this your only vehicle? Why don't you get something else? He said, well, I can't afford it. I don't have any money to get something else. He said, but I do have my eye on a van. He said, it'd be perfect for our ministry. I just don't have money to buy it. He says, how much do you want? How much is it they want for it? $12,000. Guy got a new van. You know, and and he said, you know, there is this sense of, of blessing from God. But it's not blessing because we think, well, God's going to give us more. You know, it's not like we say, okay, we're going to give and then we're going to give a dollar and God's going to give us 10. And we sort of have this, uh, play these games with God. We just give because there is joy in giving. 
Because we get a vision of the heart of God to give. And ultimately, it comes back to the cross. Ultimately, it comes back to the God who gave his son, who gave his life for us, gave everything for us. And he gave all that he had for you and me. And all we're doing is giving back to the one who gave us everything. And we can trust him. And when we give, we we don't give because we're saying, well, God, you're going to give me more. We give because that's who God is. And that's what people who want to be like God do. And we trust that God's going to supply our needs. But we're continually thinking, how can I be generous? Not how can I give away so that I can get more back? We're just thinking about developing a heart of generosity. And here's the thing I've also discovered. It's not just about money. It's about our time, our energy, our gifts. Because I've, it seems to me that either we are generous or we're not. And people who are, I know who are generous with their money are also generous with everything else in their life. And people who are stingy with their money are stingy with everything else in their life. We, we can't compartmentalize our lives like that. If we're really following the example of Christ, we are just generous. We just give. And in the midst of that giving, we trust the one who gave all for us. That he's going to supply the needs that we have. And that he is going to give us more and more opportunities to keep giving away what he's given us. And that's the, that's the blessing of, of being generous people, individually and corporately. Morris talks in his book about the ladder of giving. And he says, in his mind, there are three rungs to the ladder. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's extravagant offerings. And I think there's something to that. And so maybe this morning... You're not at the point of tithing, that 10%, wherever you decide to, however that gets distributed. And maybe you want you need to start that. And maybe starting at 10% is too high. Maybe start at 5%, but something. And maybe if tithing is what you do, maybe it's the next rung of the ladder to offerings. It's expanding that. It's trusting God to give beyond. That's what we're doing with our faith promise giving. There's a, there are missionary organizations. Or there are other groups that are spreading the gospel around the world and right near us that God is prompting you to give and to go out on a limb and to trust him and to be generous, to do something more. And maybe if that's already happening, maybe God's calling you to extravagant offerings, to give up something of great significant value. Whatever it may be, God is prompting all of us in one way or another to learn the joy of being generous. You see, sometimes we think of giving, whether you're talking about tithes or offerings or whatever, we think of it as a duty. And in one sense, it is a duty. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of obedience. But, but it's a sense of duty like eating is a sense of duty. You know, we, we have to eat or we will die. But that doesn't mean we can't enjoy eating. 
And it doesn't mean we can't enjoy coming together with friends and family and enjoying the meal and preparing it and eating it together. And it becomes a social event and it nourishes our, our bodies. And most of us don't look at eating as, as a duty that we dread, but as a ju- duty we anticipate. And I think tithing is giving in general is the same thing. Yes, it is a duty. It's an act of obedience, but not something we dread, but something that opens our hearts to the Spirit of God to speak into us and to challenge us and to, to bless us with more and more trust of God and His goodness and His grace and His Spirit. John Ortberg says that Materialism is for many people the greatest threat to their walk with God. And he says that often when he's talking about money, he he asks people to take out their wallet and to take a look at it. He tells them, you know, look inside of it, see if anybody's in there, anything going on in there. And he says, you know, it's just a piece of leather. But it represents for so many of us where we place our security, where we, what makes us feel valuable. It, it is, it is, there's something about, about this piece of leather that makes us feel like we're okay and it can, it can get us what we want and need. But it is a false idol. And my question for us today is, is the little piece of leather in our pocket or purse or bag or wherever we keep it, is it reflecting the economy of the culture that leads to stress and pressure and fear about getting more, having enough, keeping it? Or does it reflect the nature of the economy of Christ that leads to blessing and joy and life. What might God want us to do to take a step of sacrificial generosity of giving that would open us a little bit more to the joy of his spirit. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will speak into our hearts, our lives today. Father, you know that we are, we wrestle with hanging on. It's hard for us. Help us to see it as a means of giving, as a means to life and joy and the blessing of your spirit so that we might be set free. 
pray this for all of us. Through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.